0: This episode of the What the Fintech podcast is sponsored by Moneythor, the industry leader in personalized banking solutions. From PFM to financial literacy, personalized marketing to loyalty campaigns, referral management and more, Moneythor is redefining how banks and fintechs engage their customers to drive sustainable business growth. Embrace tailored experiences that match your customers' needs and preferences. Learn more at moneythor.com. Hello and welcome to another brand new episode of What the FinTech, the podcast from the team behind FinTech Futures and the Banking Technology Magazine. My name is Paul Hindle, editor at FinTech Futures. And for this episode, we're joined by CEO and co-founder of FinTech for Moneythor, Olivier Bertier. Olivier, welcome to the show.
1: Thanks, Paul. Excited to be here today and, and to join the uh, illustrious What the FinTech podcast.
0: <laughs> Excellent. Thank you very much. And yeah, it's great to have you on the show this week. Just to get started, would you like to quickly let us know a bit more about yourself and, and the work you're doing at Moneythill?
1: My background is in technology, um, more specifically uh, software engineering and applied mathematics. Well, that's what my master's degree says anyway, but it was a long time ago, so I'm not sure it still counts. But I'm definitely a software guy. And as the CEO of 24, I still code. I'm not sure it's it's still a great idea, but I do, and and I very much enjoy it. So um, my whole career has been in banking technology for about 25 years now, working on the bank side first then as an entrepreneur, founding and running banking software companies before before we even started calling this FinTech, I guess. Prior to founding MoniThor, I was the Global Solutions Director at Mises for now Finastra, where I was in charge of a portfolio of solutions for transaction banking and digital banking. I started MoniThor with my co-founders in 2013. So we celebrated our 10 year anniversary about two months ago. And right from the start, the focus on what our team saw as the next wave of capabilities which financial institutions would want to add to their digital banking services. So here we are today, 10 years later, and at Monitor, we still focus on the same thing, which is to help banks and fintech firms add more personalized capabilities and driving more engagement to their digital services.
0: Excellent. Sounds great. And yeah, I mean, you've touched on the the main topic of conversation we're going to be focusing on uh, this week, which will be the personalization in in digital banking with a focus on its role in customer acquisition and, and activation. We're diving into the, the challenges banks are facing when it comes to customer acquisition and what it is they can be doing differently, as well as, of course, finding out a little bit more about the work that Money Thor is doing in the field. That's ought to come a bit later, but as always, to get us started is our news and numbers segment. So this is where Argus has gone out and found a news story featuring an interesting number to discuss. So Olivier, what did you put along for us today?
1: So I've, I've selected the recent announcement, I think it was a couple of weeks ago, from Netwest, which has launched transaction categorization engine and service. There are a few numbers in there, numbers 89 and 98. So I think I'll come back to those numbers a bit later. But actually, before even diving into the numbers, very interesting announcement. Very interesting because it's connected to our space, obviously. But basically, the fact that the Tier one bank is launching a standalone transaction categorization as a service product is, in a sense, very interesting and, and fairly unique. I think when open banking, uh, so UK open banking and more broadly PSD2, And some of the other regimes that we see globally, they were all launched. The the regulators and actually probably more broadly the markets were were already nudging banks to go beyond just being compliant with the open banking standard and and to avoid looking at offering their API which they have to do for free as nothing more than just an extra cost and, and an annoying service to manage. So there's been a lot of talks about monetizing the open banking opportunity and we're seeing some interesting use cases among among some of our banking clients, to use the other banks' data, which they can collect thanks to their customer consent. So so basically, when the bank is also playing the role of an AISP, so the account information service provider in the open banking jargon. So for example, we're seeing some banks we work with doubling into surfacing contextual marketing opportunities from that 360-degree view that they have of their customers' holdings and transactions at the other banks. So, okay, monetizing the, the open banking opportunity, but here with NatWest, they actually do it differently, probably more for the original spirit of the extra services, which a bank could offer on top of the regulated open banking API. And at our level, I mean, we're tracking this space very closely. I think it's one of the very first time that we see a bank, particularly one of the largest. And, and so fundamentally, a bank being an account servicing payment service provider, the ASPSP in the, the open banking jargon, not only of course expose their open banking API, but do a proper technology product launch of some of their extra APIs, which obviously they can charge for. So that's relatively new. That's an interesting way to to monetize the the open banking opportunity. What's actually quite interesting for us also is to see that they're entering a space which is pretty crowded. There are a lot of entities No bank, actually, but there are a lot of entities that are providing this. So they have a lot of competitors for this. Big and small, local and pan-regional. It's ranging from fintech startups to credit bureaus to open banking aggregators, providing categorization as a service. And even the card schemes actually. Even the Visa and MasterCard, they offer API product that allow you to do transaction enrichments and categorization. So so they're really entering a fairly crowded space uh, and presenting a technology product. To some extent, I mean, we we are also covering that space at Monifor. We also have part of our cleansing capabilities and enrichment capabilities, which are uh, an interesting component or a means to an end to deliver personalized experiences. So that's the other one which I found interesting with this is first monetizing the open banking opportunity, well done at West, but then entering a, a fairly crowded space, which we don't really see banks entering that much. Now, looking at the numbers that they have in there, two numbers, so I mentioned 89. So they're saying that they're able to categorize up to 99% of transaction types. So if you read it too quickly, you might think that they're categorizing 90% of transactions. No, 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 that's not what they're saying. They say 90% of transaction types. It's always interesting to read press release when it's the space that you are really producing your practitioners in, because honestly, I don't know what they mean by transaction types. So 89% of transaction types, I actually have no real idea what they mean by this. And then the next one is up to 98% of transactions being categorized accurately. The notion of accuracy for transaction categorization is an interesting one. Just pull an example, if you go to Marks and Spencer and you spend 50 quid, is it more accurate to categorize it as clothing or food when the only thing we see is that you went to Marks and Spencer and spent 50 quid. So, quite interesting to see how they can measure 98% accuracy on the transaction that they're categorizing. So that's the other part which I found really interesting with that announcement from NetQuest is that not only are they competing with technology solution provider, but they also use the same fuzzy marketing data points as we are using. So they're learning very quickly and it's very interesting development. So their data points are interesting, the fact that they launched this, the monetizing of open banking is interesting. So really like this little news of the last two weeks.
0: Yeah. No, it's, it's definitely an interesting move. And yeah, I mean, I guess on that front, I mean, do you think that this is a key area that banks are looking to innovate in now? I mean, obviously it's adding that personalization there, allowing, I mean, one of the, one of the examples they're giving is tips on how to manage budget or reduce carbon footprint as well. Do you think that this is an area that more banks are then going to start um, moving into as well? And we're going to see more of these kinds of services popping up in the
1: near future? Yeah, I think personalization has definitely become a strategic area of focus for banks. And it's a worldwide trend, by the way. Before we have the chance of being active in Western Europe, Middle East, Africa, and Asia Pacific, and actually Asia Pacific for us is home. So really a broad set of markets. And the interest from banks, and I'm talking strategic interest in adding personalization capabilities to their digital services, it's really something that, that we see. We see pretty much everywhere. So a key area that they are looking to innovate in, definitely. I think the the first wave of internet banking and mobile banking services were very much one-size-fits-all informational and transactional capabilities. You could almost argue that they they were designed as a basic extension of the bank's own core system, just to expose the, the, the data belonging to customers, allowing them to pay their bill, do a fund transfer. That was about it. And that's pretty much the state of the internet banking, digital banking was in 10 years ago when we started at, at Monifort. In our first years of operation, we really had to evangelize. I mean, it was hard to get banks to even pay attention. And of the value of data and the fact that they should use the data, not in a selfish way for their own risk analysis, profitability analysis, but should use it to enhance the services they were offering to their customers and drive more personalized experiences. But definitely not anymore. It's hard to know if there was really an event or a reason. And I don't want to say COVID because I don't think it's really COVID. It was actually probably a little bit before that. But about, about, let's say three, three, four years ago, we started to see banks publishing as part of their annual report, data about the value of personalization, the value of digital engagement, how much more digitally engaged customers were more profitable customers. So really starting to connect digital engagement with personalization and bottom line. And they were not the only ones. So a few banks were starting to do that. And industry analysts also started to cover the trend. So now I think we're already three, four years after there's been this realization that data should be used and personalization should be used as a key contributor to the business for the bank. So again, is it an area where they are looking to innovate Yeah, Because they have understood how connected it was to their success and to their bottom line, and to what their shareholders were expecting, to the point that, as I said, a number of them are now publishing data points related to personalized digital services into their annual report. Shall we see more banks do what NetWest is doing? That's a different one. I think enriching our, our data to provide more personalized services to customers so that indeed they can have a better handle on their finances, they can improve the way they are going to budget they can understand if they have a risk of overdraft on their account, they can plan better, they can save for their holiday or for the rainy day. So all that, yes, but really for them to develop those technologies internally for their own services. Go the extra mile like NatWest is trying to do and trying to not only enable this for their own requirements, but to offer it to third parties. I'm not sure, I'm not seeing much bank actually trying to do this at the moment. The primary objective is to do it for their own means for their own services and deliver better capabilities and more personalized engagement to their customers.
0: Excellent, excellent. And just briefly on this point as well, before we move on, are there any technologies and new services other than obviously what, what now is doing at the moment that have particularly caught your eye in recent times that have really added extra dimension in terms of that personalized banking?
1: Yeah, I mean, well, how can I not say generative AI and large language <laughs> models? So GPT, chat GPT style stuff. I mean, obviously that's the big thing That has happened. It's not a dinosaur extinction event, I think, but it's certainly something massive, which has happened actually a year ago now in the first public release of something that we could all play with. As a technologist, I think it's fair to say it's probably the the development which has been the most surprising to me by its speed and its relative immediate maturity and applicability, uh, which I have ever seen in my career from a technology, from a new innovation. And so, of course, it is amazing at delivering more personalized experiences. The obvious use case is conversational user interfaces, better chatbots, which is how the chat GPT part of that technology has initially exploded. At level, we're not really looking that much about that aspect. There are actually a lot of players looking at the conversational element and how to apply this to banking journeys. Interestingly, what we're more interested in is the ability for those technologies to generate the content So to generate the more personalized content, not necessarily in a conversational context. And there's actually one part which is really interesting for us. I mean, our solution is a a data-driven personalization engine, and it needs to be configured. The bank's business lines, the business teams, they need to design what kind of personalized experience they want to roll out. And that configuration can actually be a little bit daunting sometimes, what this technologies are providing us with is an ability to generate a lot of the low code that used to be required and to really bypass that need. So really have a no-code experience for a bank staff when they will try to deliver personalized expenses to the customers. So so by far the new technology that I think is keeping a lot of us busy is generative AI LLM type stuff.
0: looking from a customer's perspective, where do you think personalization then in banking services ranks for customers in terms of importance right now when it comes to them choosing who to bank with and and what kind of trends are you seeing there?
1: There is a fair amount of survey data and anecdotal evidence pointing to customers willing to switch their bank for another one, providing them with a better user experience. But to be fair, I think that one of those surveys are missing is the fact that on a day-to-day basis, there is a lot of inertia in the way we're managing our bank relationship. I mean, you really need a strong event, a major reason to look at another bank that's likely to be beyond the poor experience. I mean, how many consumers are complaining about their bank but have been banking with them for 20 years? So that inertia, that change, can a better user experience really drive a switch My gut feel is not necessarily if it's not connected to a particular event. So you're looking for a mortgage and therefore you're looking for a better rate. And then you're looking at other banks. And then, yes, you might bring all your everyday banking needs to the same financial institutions at the same time. So some of those life events potentially. But surely the personalization, better user experience alone is probably likely to not be good enough to force you to switch. That being said, if you're already on the market looking for a bank, then yes, the one providing you with a better set of personalized features is likely to attract your attention more, but not necessarily as a good enough reason to switch, particularly in terms of ranking it versus the fees that you will be charged. I think fees and how much more savings or opportunities you will have from a monetary standpoint are still likely to trump the motivations to actually switch.
0: Excellent. So I I guess then in terms of bringing customers in then what customer acquisition strategies are finance
1: institutions currently implementing? So the traditional mix, the traditional marketing mix, which are designed to advertise the banking product. One of the very interesting ones that we see experiencing some kind of revival lately is the referrals or some banks or financial institutions are calling the member get member type campaigns. Interestingly, this has been part of the, the traditional marketing mix Forever. I mean, for as long as I can remember banking, I remember some kind of incentives. If I'm invited by a friend to get that credit card, I might have a bit of cash back or some additional incentives or points. So it has existed for quite a long time, but very limited to specific products. And it was a bit of a sleepy acquisition techniques, I think. But what we've seen is a new wave of demand for this kind of referral techniques, where you refer friends and family, They will get something when they join the bank, and you will also get something. I think one of the reasons for this revival is the fact that it's a lot easier to make that experience very seamless, now that our exclusive relationship with our bank is through the digital channels. If you are able to do that, invite friends with one tap of a button directly from within your mobile banking experience, it is allowing you to have more exposure. The experience, I think, with Referral historically were pretty clunky. Even if you were an existing customer of the bank, you had to go to the bank topic website, you had to enter the four last digits of your card to be identified, click on the three links, get a code, you had to copy and paste it, send it to your friends through WhatsApp or whatever. You know, the amount of friction in those legacy campaigns were pretty dreadful. So now the ability to one-tap share to your private direct messaging service to your friends, a code or not even a code, it can be a uh, Directly tagged based on the phone number in some countries where you already have this information about phone numbers connecting customers. So traditional mix sits still, obviously, but the revival or an extension and an increased level of sophistication of those referral management, member get member techniques.
0: Uh, Excellent. And what would you say then the key challenges and pain points that banks are typically facing when it comes to acquiring new customers?
1: I think it's getting them activated and, and getting them to stay. If you have great incentives to join a bank, you might be really tempted to gain that incentive. You're offered some cash packs, you're offered some points, miles, and vouchers. If you complete your onboarding, you complete that onboarding, you download the app, you get your savings deposit account, and you got a debit card or a credit card or a wallet or, or whatever, and that's the time when you get your incentives, your reward. Will you continue using that new bank after you've got your cashbacks, your points and your miles? Why would you? I mean, okay, if you've had the chance to discover that their service were great, but the primary reason you've used the codes that your friends were giving was probably to get the incentives in the first place. So I think that the key challenge and pain point is getting those new customers activated and start to get them to be engaged over the long run. So start to get that 30 days, 90 days experience where they are nudged regularly, they continue being incentivized. They're not basically going to drop off after having earned the rewards from the uh, initial onboarding. I think that's the primary challenge that we're seeing. Excellent. And I guess
0: obviously the, the key follow-up question to that is how can banks and, and other financial institutions then manage this and how can they address these obstacles effectively?
1: So. Once you're onboarded, is the quality of the service that you will be presented to. One of the last things that customers want as they become brand new customers is to be bombarded with a set of upsell and marketing offers. So refrain from bombarding those new customers with marketing content. Uh, Instead, make them discover those super rich features that your digital banking service can provide. Uh, You're offering free FX will they spend overseas they have benefits around travel insurance they have you will help them save uh, you will reward them if they spend in a certain way you will teach them things you will help them understand be better at managing their finances be more financially literate so it's drip feeding those really valuable contents right from the start of the experience that being said is it enough to create that initial stickiness Um, Maybe not. It's clearly a contributor, you must do this. You must expose the value-add services that you have, but is it enough for customers to stay if they were really just hunting for the reward after the onboarding? Probably not. So one of the, the techniques that we're rolling out and which we see being quite successful is if your incentives do not stop at the onboarding. So yes, you've onboarded, we've given you a voucher. Now, if you do, at least use your card two times during the first two weeks, then you will get an additional thing. Then if you open that savings account and you fund it with a minimum amount after 30 days, then we're going to give you an extra little incentive. And the nature of those incentives actually can quite vary. You could argue that the marketing budgets of the banks are not unlimited, so they cannot just keep on giving cash back and vouchers and gift cards. So there are things that can be given by staying reasonable from a marketing budget standpoint. Uh, One of the incentives which are given, which work quite well, is to give points. So to give another type of currency, those points which you can then redeem and turn into something, obviously, but giving points. And a very interesting one that we see being developed quite successfully among some of our uh, digital banking clients is giving lucky draw chances. That's pretty cheap actually to give. You have a lucky draw, you might have something to win, but it's a fixed marketing budget. Whether you have acquired 10,000 customers or 100,000 customers, you will have more people that you do the lucky draw from, but the budget from the marketing standpoint is the same. So, giving away lucky draw chances is a pretty cheap way to incentivize and give something to reward not just the onboarding but those multiple steps that are starting to create some stickiness and some long-term relationship with a customer. And now there's another element which uh, we've started to roll out and we are really quite pleased with the results, is leveraging the power of your connections, right? So in the first place, you've been onboarded because one of your friends gives you the referral code. And when you've onboarded, they've given you, you as a new customer, you receive something, but your friend, they've also received something because you became a new customer. Well, as you progress through your journey, we can continue incentivize your friend. So your friend continue earning. If you've been a good customer after 30 days, a genuine customer after 30 days, your friend will receive also something. If you've used your card three times, if you've logged into the app X times, you will get something. Your friend will also get something. So we're actually kind of leveraging your peer pressure or your, the social pressure of having your friends that you may continue do that thing because we will continue benefiting beyond the onboarding. So using this kind of social relationship over the long run to continue incentivizing the original refer is something which we see working quite well in this wave of more advanced and more structured acquisition techniques that banks are starting to roll out. Excellent. Sounds great. And what
0: opportunities arise then when banks implement personalized customer acquisition strategies correctly and what tangible benefits can both customers and financial institutions expect to experience as a result
1: well they will expect obviously their new customers to be genuine customers the customer is generating revenue for the bank if they are active they get fees if you're using your card they get of course a part of the interest deposit lending so if you're active with the bank if you get products there's obviously some benefit from this. Again, as I said earlier, one of the key benefits is, or probably the statement revelation of the past four years is that a digitally engaged customer is a more profitable customer. So the direct outcome of having those brand new customers, being genuine customers and and engaging with the banks and the variety of its capabilities after 30 days, 60 days, 90 days and to continue is that they are digitally engaged. So they are more likely to get more products to do more with the banks and therefore generate more revenue. So that's more from the bank standpoint. I think the the, the benefit from a customer standpoint is if that engagement is generating not only from marketing content, which again, as I mentioned earlier is something we always encourage our banking clients to really focus on, don't bombard your customers with just banners and next best offer and nudge them to get another of the banking product on an ongoing basis. If you only use personalization for this, then it's not going to work. It's not going to engage them. So make sure that you have a broad set of content. A significant part of that content we like to see it being delivered as financial well-being programs, helping people save, helping people being better at managing their finances. So the benefit from the customer is to be better off, potentially less depth, ability to save, to set some money aside, and, which is a very relevant benefit in a cost of living crisis and the environment we're in at the moment. So a lot of benefits for the banks, but if it's done well, it can really be a win. You, you can really help people be better at managing their finances. They also have downstream to consume some of the bank's product more relevant.
0: Excellent. Excellent. And these days, it's now obviously a lot easier for customers to switch banks. And the numbers seem to suggest in the UK, more people are willing to do so at the moment, potentially. As you mentioned earlier with the cost of living crisis and rising interest rates people seeking better deals i mean with this would you say then that activation is a real critical factor in, in digital banking now and how much of a challenge is retaining those customers for banks
1: yeah i mean i can share numbers but we were actually shocked to see the dreadful activation rate that some of our banking clients were enjoying with some of their legacy products i think credit card was one of the worst i mean it depends on the, the market you have different markets having different approach to using credit cards highly developed markets might have customers having a multiple set of credit cards and brands in their wallet and really chasing the onboarding offer, using the card exclusively for a very narrow set of transactions that are going to maximize the benefit that are attached to this particular card. So yeah, activation is definitely a critical factor and there's, there's a lot that can be improved. We're seeing that being fairly low with product like credit card, Deposit is a bit of an outlier in the current environment. I mean, when we're able to have a, a term deposit, one month, 12 month, whatever the currency these days, which is at three, four, if not more percent, you need a little bit less incentive to get people to activate their deposit products. The whole point for them is to benefit from those massive interest rates that we offer at the moment. So activation depends on the product, not so much on the deposit side, but on the credit side, on the lending side, yeah, definitely it's pretty shocking at the moment. As I said earlier, you need people to transact in order for your product to be successful as a bank and for the bank to generate revenue. So yeah, activation is definitely key and, and it's pretty bad for some product. Again, connected to what we said earlier about the fact that yeah, customers get onboarded, get the benefit, get the card, maybe do a one transactions, but they're not provided with personalized, engaging content to do more. So why would they?
0: Excellent. I mean, I I guess to finish this point off then as well, I mean, what then would you say that the future of personalized banking look like and how can banks keep evolving in this space? And and are there any developments that Money Thought you can tell us about as well?
1: So something which for us has kept us really busy in the past year or so is how blended Money management, loyalty, and gamification were were now in the way digital financial services were delivered. Again, historically, you had money management on one hand. It was like the the little PFM tab somewhere in your banking experience where you could see a, a fancy donut of your spend by category, and it was there. And then you had potentially a loyalty campaign connected to your credit card spend, and it was somewhere else in your journey and very specific to a product. What we're really now seeing is money management, leveraging loyalty techniques, sometimes with gamification, in order to get people to be better at managing their money and even rewarding not only your spend, but rewarding how good a saver you are. So you have a savings account, then you set up a few savings goals, you're defining what you're saving for, you're on a streak of contribution to your savings, we're going to give you a reward. We're going to tell you, congratulations, here is a voucher, here are points, here are lucky draw chances because you've successfully achieved the savings milestone, not only because you've spent more, which is really what loyalty programs were about historically. And again, blending financial well-being programs, financial literacy with loyalty and gamification is something which we see as one of the most exciting development when it comes to personalized digital services. It is more advanced in some regions than others. We're seeing some markets where applying or making the experience fun, almost embedding mini games in a banking app is seen as something pretty normal. In some more traditional markets where banking is supposed to be serious, using gamification techniques to help people engage inside their mobile banking app is something which is a little bit more recent or experimentation. But we think that trend is irreversible to create engagement, personalization by blending money management, loyalty, and again gamification techniques.
0: Thank you so much again for taking the time out to speak with us and and share your insights with us this week, um, Olivier. Um, To close out, the podcast we have on now, infamous Fintech Jail. So this is where we ask for an industry term, buzzword or trend that you've seen or heard enough of. So what would your selection be for the jail this week?
1: Okay, you had so many already in the podcast, the Fintech Jail, that it was actually quite hard to find one. But the one we've selected is Hypergrowth. Hypergrowth was an exciting buzzword a couple of years ago. The focus was on growth more than profitability. It's a bit of a revenge for us in the current environment because yeah, we've celebrated our 10 year anniversary and we've always been self-funded, debt-free and profitable since year one. So for us actually hypergrowth has always been something that we're not really paying too much attention to and rather focusing on profitability. And the current environment we're in, which is quite tough, particularly if you're not profitable, is one which We are quite happy to be with the way we've always run Monifor, so focus on profitability. And therefore, the fact that hypergrowth has become a bit of a bad word is something that we're quite happy to highlight because that's definitely not been the way we've been managing our journey so far, and we're not planning to change anytime soon. So profitability rather than hypergrowth is the motto here.
0: Yeah, no, that makes sense. I mean, I, I mean, you mentioned press releases back at the, at the start of the episode as well. I mean, is is this something as well that you're seeing quite a lot of still at, at this point in, in, in press releases at the moment? Or...
1: Well, we're seeing a lot less press releases which are focusing on how much money you're raising because I think when you raise money, you basically take a loan from someone and first there's not much raise out there and then I think what it says about your objective is not necessarily positive message so we've certainly seen a slightly different kind of content with press release and announcements a little bit more partnership focus a little bit more case study focus we like to see a bit more press release where technology providers are now are announcing that they're working with the client rather than announcing that they've raised more money and we're suddenly seeing a lot more of the former than the latter in the current demand. Excellent. Yeah.
0: No, I, I'm in agreement. I think we've hit some um, buzzword territory now with, with this one and there's a, a sense of vagary about the term as well. Sometimes when does growth become hypergrowth? growth, I guess, for yeah. certain places, right? But usually what I would ask you is, is there anything you'd like to replace it with? But I think you've just explained that. really, I mean, just focusing more on, on profitability rather than hyper growth, right?
1: Yeah. Yeah. It's, it's always been our focus. I think it's very cultural, growing a business from the revenue you're generating from happy clients. It's kind of it's always been our dna and that's what basically we're focusing on so continue focus on profitability
0: sounds great yeah no i'm more than happy to send this one into the jail i think this is a good selection like you say it is getting quite full in there at the moment but we will have an amnesty over christmas so we'll let a couple more out into the open but i can imagine that this one's going to be hanging around for, for some time to come awesome that's all we have time for this episode thanks of course to olivier for joining me as for Fintech Futures, you can find us online at fintechfutures.com, on X at Fintech Futures, and of course, on LinkedIn. If you like this podcast and our other episodes, you can subscribe on Apple Podcasts, Spotify, SoundCloud, or your favorite podcasting service. Get notified about future episodes. Thanks as well to Arama for editing this podcast. You can check them out at arama.tv. As always, thank you very much for your support. We'll see you soon for another episode of What the Fintech, but until then, goodbye.